I wonder if you've ever lost anything valuable. Um, I googled lost and found stories um, over the weekend. Interestingly, one of the most common stories that appears is lost wedding rings. Um, I don't know if I read one story yesterday about a woman who lost her wedding ring 25 years ago um, only to eat a carrot that she'd grown in the garden and find the wedding ring attached to the end of the carrot. She thinks that she probably threw her wedding ring away with the food rubbish and somehow it became into compost. I think she just wanted to get a story into the paper, but it was a great story. Um, I have my own wedding ring uh, lost, almost lost story. Uh, what we were on the way back from honeymoon, I mean, it didn't take very long for me to lose my wedding ring. So we were at uh, baggage claim. Have you ever been to baggage claim in an airport when you come back from holiday? There's, there's the uh, carousel, and then surrounding the carousel are all the men, all around the carousel, and then behind them are the women holding the trolleys. There seems to be some kind of social order that's enacted uh, at baggage claim. So I was one of the men, stood, and I try and position myself as near as possible to where the baggage is going to come in. So I'm stood there, but at this point, I'm still not used to wearing, being used to wearing a wedding ring. So I keep taking it off. Now, apparently, you're not supposed to take your wedding ring off. In fact, I'm banned now because of this story from taking my wedding ring off. But she sat down there, so she can't stop me from doing it. Um, But I was fiddling with my wedding ring like this. And then all of a sudden, the wedding ring flicks out of my hand, takes off, and lands on the baggage carousel. Now, the baggage carousel is going away from me. around, And I'm hoping that Nell hasn't noticed. The problem is, the ring is slowly moving on the carousel. I can spot it. So I dive onto the carousel throwing other men baggage out of the way to retrieve my lost wedding ring. I think the fear was not necessarily of losing the wedding ring, but of telling Nell what I'd just done. But I found it. It was saved. That's a silly story, really, about lost and found. I want to tell you a story about someone called Saru Briley. don't know if anyone's heard of this guy. Uh, Saru Briley, he was five years old, an Indian, uh, lived in a small town in central India when he was lost from his family. He followed his older brother to work, um, and his brother worked as a sweeper on trains, and you know, he was going to learn that trade. That was going to be his job. So he followed his brother to work, and they got to the station, and at the station, uh, he lost his brother. He didn't know where he'd gone. And he saw a train just about to pull out from the station, so he got on the train, thinking, well, my brother sweeps trains. He must have got on this train. He gets on the train, and he looks around for his brother, and he can't find him. But he's tired, so he just curls up in a corner and falls asleep. But he falls asleep for 12 hours. Ends up in, in, in Calcutta, something like however many hundreds of miles uh, away from his hometown. Now, Saru is five. He's illiterate. He can't read. He has no idea where he lives. He has no idea of his address. He has no idea how he got to where he is. He doesn't even know the name of the city that he's in. And he's on his own in the streets. And so he, he can't get home. He can't get back to his family. He finds himself begging. He finds himself just doing anything he can to keep himself safe. It's a dangerous place for a five-year-old to be. Thankfully, he's taken in by an adoption agency but, um, into an orphanage. And he's put up for adoption. And, and he's, taken into, uh, he's taken home by a, a couple from Australia, from Tasmania. So little Saru is taken as a young child, a young boy, to live in Australia. But all his life, as he's growing up, he can't help but think about his family uh, back uh, in India. He's consumed thinking, I've got to find my mum, my dad, my brothers, my sisters. And all his life, he's, he's thinking, how can I get home? A few years ago, he uh, was uh, on the internet and he discovered Google Earth. 
And he thought, maybe, maybe, somehow, I can find where I was. So he decided to, to find his way home. What he did was he worked out, if he traveled overnight for about 12 hours on the train, he, he w- worked out at the average speed of an Indian train, how far that might be, and he drew a circle around Kolkata. And he just started to follow all the train lines back, trying to get home, trying to find where he might have come from. He had his memories. All he had were memories of places that he'd played and, and memories of things that he'd done. And suddenly he came across a town uh, called Kandwa, And he spotted a dam and a river that he recognized. In his mind, he had a memory of playing under the waterfall. And he looked around and thought, I wonder if there's anything else he'll recognize. And he found a fountain. It's on Google Earth. A fountain where he tripped over and cut his knee. And he's thinking, I found my town. So what does he do? Gets on a plane from Australia, from Tasmania. This is 25 years later. Gets on a plane, flies to India, heads to Kandwa walks around the town that he now recognizes as his home. He finds his way to his house, knocks on the door. His family have moved. He doesn't know where they are. But he's got a photo uh, of himself as a child with him, and he's got, he remembers the names of his family. He remembers uh, people that he played with, things that he did. And he shows the photo. The third person he met said, I'd like to take you with me. Come with me. I'm going to introduce you to your mother goes round the corner into a house and is reconciled, reunited with his mum who he's not seen for 25 years, with his brothers and sisters who had lost him. What an incredible story. Incredible story of being lost and being found. And I was thinking uh, as I was reading this story, what must the celebrations been like in that village when this lost son came home? When this boy who'd been abandoned, been um, had been separated from his parents through, through just no fault, of, no, no fault of anyone, just found himself trapped uh, and away. Imagine the party that would have taken place. Imagine uh, how his father and mother must have looked and searched and, and worried for him in the 25 years before that. Imagine what they would have done to get him back. Imagine what they would have felt. I think that, that story gives us a picture of God's heart that Jesus is communicating through the story we've heard this morning. You know, God's heart is a heart for those who find themselves lost, who find themselves far from him, who find themselves in trouble. Jesus, time and time and time again, came to tell that story. You know, in the the story that we read this morning, um, Jesus is with the religious leaders and he's with tax collectors and notorious sinners. And the the religious leaders are grumbling. They're moaning that he's spending time with these people. In fact, Jesus hears their muttering and he tells three stories. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, I want to be absolutely clear about one thing. God's heart is for those who find themselves lost. God's concern and compassion is towards those who've got themselves in trouble. God's heart is for those who've wandered far away. And that's why I'm here. Jesus himself said that he came to seek and save those who were lost, those who were far from God, those who thought that they had no hope. That's who Jesus came for. And we see that throughout the stories about his life, don't we? We see that he spent time with the rich but corrupt tax collectors who everyone else hated, but he spent time with. But not only the rich, he went to those who were outcasts, who were excluded from their community, to those with leprosy who couldn't worship, who couldn't spend time with their family, who were, who were separated, who people avoided. 
He healed them and re-included them and brought them back into the community. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. And in the story today, we see that lost people were really attracted to Jesus' message. Notorious sinners, tax collectors, those who probably weren't really attracted to the kind of organized religion of the day. They, they felt excluded. I think they were left out. They weren't allowed to come because they would make the place look unclean or would make the place ceremonially unclean. They would stop people from getting to God. But Jesus' message was different. That's why they were attracted to him. His message was one of good news, of great joy for all people. That's what the angel told the shepherds in the Christmas story. This is good news of great joy for all people. It includes the atheist and the addict. It includes the spiritually bankrupt and the poor. It includes you and I. Jesus' message is good news. And what was the message? Well, I think it was a message of grace. A message of grace. What's grace? I think grace can be summed up in, in, in this simple way. God is for you. God is for you. God is on your side. God knows you. God sees you. God's not abandoned you. However far you've run, God is there. God is for you. That's what grace is. For those who were downtrodden, who were, who, who were excluded by the religious leaders, who weren't allowed to worship, who weren't able to get to, uh, to God. You know, when Jesus got really mad in the temple, do we know that story? Where he goes into the temple and he, he turns the tables over and he, he kind of seems to lose it, really. Do you know why he gets so mad? What makes him so angry? It's because all the tables, all the sellers were stopping people who were far from God getting to worship. That's, what's Jesus, that's what God's heart is. That's what he's about. If we, if we stop people from getting to God, then Jesus doesn't want that. His heart is for those who don't know God, who are far from him. Grace for the downtrodden and excluded. God is for you. God is for you even though society is against you. God is for you even though you're broke. God is for you even though you can't worship. God is for you. But not only did lost people, those who were far from God, love his message, they got to spend time with him. They had access to him. And the thing that upset the religious leaders was that Jesus ate with them. Something called, he shared his table, he opened his home. And that was radically different to anyone else in that day. It was very clear kind of caste divisions, you know, class divisions. If you weren't in a certain class, if you weren't a certain type of person, you couldn't eat together. You couldn't share food with others. And Jesus said, that's not how it should be. So he would eat with everyone. He would share uh, meals with Pharisees, religious leaders, and then he'd invite all his friends, and that would cause kind of social unrest. What do we do in this context? Mealtimes were far more than occasions just to have food, but they were about a symbolic sign of friendship, of fellowship, of inclusion. Jesus, in effect, is saying, as he eats with tax collectors and sinners, you are family. You're family. You're with me. You're part of my family. I include you. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news if all you've ever been told is that you're an outsider? Isn't that great news if you've never been able to have a meal with anyone? Isn't that great news if, if you've been scandalous and, and you've offended others and you've broken up someone else's marriage? You know, the, the woman of disrepute, we, we hear the story, she comes into that meal place and she breaks a, a jar of perfume over Jesus' feet and washes his feet with her hair. It's a scandalous thing, but she's allowed there because Jesus said, your family, it doesn't matter where we come from, God is for us. That's grace. God is for us. That's grace. 
So to the parable Jesus tells, he's got the lost and the broken with him. He's got the tax collectors and the sinners gathered around him. He's got the religious leaders muttering. So here's the first of three parables that he tells. There was once a shepherd. He had 100 sheep. 99 of them were behaved well. They, was, they stayed where they should, but the one went missing. You know, he noticed the one that went missing. To be honest, I have a life group of about 15 people. If one goes missing and doesn't come, sometimes I don't notice. Isn't that a terrible thing to say? He noticed there were, there were 100 sheep, but he noticed the one. What's that about? Well, do you know, God knows each one of us by name. He sees us. He knows us. Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, we are knitted together in our mother's womb by God. He knows us individually. He, he spots us. He knows our hearts. Wherever we go, he can see us. There's no we can get from his presence. He sees you today. He sees your heart today. He knows exactly how you're feeling, what you're thinking. doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. God knows you intimately. He knows me intimately. And maybe you're here today and feeling far from God. You would maybe kind of describe yourself as someone who's lost or who just doesn't really know what's happening in life. Maybe you've never come to a place of knowing God. Well, I want to say to you today, God is for you. God is for you and inviting you to know him. It doesn't matter how lost you feel, today you can meet with him. He's here and he loves you. You know, that's why... Jesus said to his followers, we're to be people who notice other people. We're to notice when the one goes missing. We're to notice when the one disappears. And we're to go out looking for those who are lost, those who are far from God. The shepherd noticed the one, even though the 99 was still there. Do we notice those around us who are in need? Do we notice those we walk past, those we uh, travel with to work, those we sit with in an office, those we live next door to? Do we notice them? Do we know them? Can we think in our minds of people we know who've wandered off, whether that's from faith, whether that's just in life? Would we go after them? Would we do what Jesus would do and go after those who've wandered off? I was thinking about one of the things that's really important to notice people, and that's being having a slower pace of life. Um, I've, I love traveling on the train, and, and I, my parents live in Devon, and so I've been on the train down to Exeter. It's a beautiful train ride from London. And I always say, oh, I love sitting in the train and looking at the countryside, but actually, I don't really see very much of it because it's going so fast. I might notice stuff in the distance or a general sweep of the landscape, but I don't notice the beauty. The best way to explore the countryside is to walk. The best way to see the detail is to walk, is to go slow. Do we have a pace of life that means we're never going to notice people? We've got to slow down. We've got to see who's struggling. We've got to see who's in trouble. We've got to notice uh, those who are sad. We've got to notice those who need our help, who are looking for God. Do we notice? The shepherd noticed. He noticed those, the one that had gone. Secondly, the shepherd persevered. He kept looking until he found the, the sheep that was lost. I don't know for, for you, but maybe for me, sometimes I'd think, well, they'll just come back. When they get home, my mum used to say about me, if I disappeared off for the day, I'll come back when I'm hungry. I'll come back when I need a cup of tea. I'll come back late at night, whatever it might be, but I'll always come back. Do we assume that? Because Jesus doesn't. He goes after the lost sheep. 
Do you think the parents of Saru Briley assumed he'd return? No, they tore up that town. They went on every train they could. They were looking everywhere for him. If you Google his name, you'll find his, the longer version of his story online. It's incredible. His mum had her faith in God. In an interview I saw this morning of, of her with Vanity Fair, who inter- in- interviewed her, she said, it was God that kept me going. I kept praying for my son to return. I never lost hope. She tore up that town looking for her son. God does not give up easily. Again, Psalm 139, how far can I go from your spirit? I go to the depths. I go to the darkest places. You're still there. God inhabits the darkest places. He's with us when life gets darkest, when life is hardest. I admire the courage of, of those uh, early missionaries um, who, who refused to give up in their call from God. Listen to this quote from a guy called C.T. Studd. He was a famous cricketer, played for England before God called him to the mission field, and he said this, Some people want to live near church or chapel bell. I'd rather set up a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's the heart that God has. He doesn't sit in a comfy place in heaven waiting for us to come home when we get hungry. He left the riches of heaven. He came to us in the person of Jesus, demonstrated his heart for us, that he loves us, and he laid his life down for us. And he calls us to do the same, to lay down our lives for others. And when Jesus, when the shepherd found the sheep and brought him home, there's a party that is thrown, a party that that starts and grows and grows. Do you know the church in Africa is growing by 50,000 people each week? That's a lot of parties that are going on in heaven. That's not around the world. The church in Vietnam has grown by 600% in recent history. Christians in uh, Indonesia, a country where many Christians are persecuted for their faith, has grown from 1 million um, not many years ago, 20 years ago or so, to over 11.5 million now. The party in the kingdom of God is growing and growing. In Luke's gospel alone, the biggest image outside of healing uh, for the kingdom of God, for who God is, is a party, is a banquet, is a celebration. That means that whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, we are praying, God, help us to be better people at throwing parties. Isn't that a great prayer to pray? God, help us to throw better parties. Help us to celebrate more. Help us to celebrate what you're doing more. I think that's a great prayer to pray. I think that's something that, you know, that, that's why people flock to Jesus, because he knew how to celebrate. He knew how to party. That's why he was called a drunken and a glutton. He enjoyed great food. He drank lots of wine. He celebrated with his friends. That's why at Cana in Galilee, Jesus said, you know, let's, let's change the water into wine. Not just any old stuff, but we're going to give the best of the best, because that's what God wants to do. He celebrates. He celebrates when lives are changed. Are we people that celebrate? Are we people that celebrate? I've I've seen it written that that it should be criminal for us to turn the good news of Jesus into something boring. Jesus was exciting. Jesus partied. He celebrated when lives were changed, when people came home. He came to seek and save the lost. What about for us today? Maybe God's speaking to our hearts this morning. Maybe in some way we would think that we're lost. We might feel like or we might show like we've got it all together. The house, the family, the job. But inside we feel distant from God. God knows and he's for you. His grace is for you. He's saying come home. Maybe we're nowhere. We've never called ourselves a Christian. We've said 
I'm just not interested in God. But something today has, has struck your heart. Something about the songs we've sung or the prayers we've prayed. And you've gone, there's something in this. I can't put my finger on what it is. I think that might be God saying, why don't you come and find me? I'm looking for you. I'm here to be found. Why don't you come and know me? You know, when Mark mentioned Alpha, Alpha is something that we run. Um, 18 years ago, I think, just about, um, I became a Christian on an Alpha course. It changed my life. I came as someone seeking and searching for God, not sure what to find, but as I look back in my life, I see that God was searching for me because I was lost, but now I'm found, as the song Amazing Grace says. Maybe you'd like to try Alpha. We start in September. Why don't you come to the first evening? We talk about, does God exist? Because I think it's great news that God does exist. I think it's great news that there's a God who loves us, who's for us, and wants to have a relationship with us. If you'd like to come to Alpha, come and sign up today. We'd love to introduce you to, to Jesus through that, through that course. Maybe we're people who, who need reminding again. I know that this is me. that I need reminding again to be someone like the shepherd who notices when people are in trouble, who doesn't give up and just think, oh, they'll come home at some point. And who's willing to be someone who celebrates and parties because that's what Jesus did. Celebrating lives changed. Celebrating the stories of God at work. Jesus' message is one of grace. God is for you. Maybe for some of us that's all we need to hear this morning. We might feel like we don't deserve that, but God is for you. God is for you. And God says this morning, Jesus says this morning, I invite you, come and know that. Come and know me. Come and follow me. Let me find you. Let me bring you home. Let me throw a party in your honor because that's what I do.